Jack, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? It's I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It always happens, you know. Sometimes we can get people on right away, and sometimes it uh, takes a few minutes. But how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Staying uh, staying as busy as possible. It's obviously a bit of a of a different time at the moment for all of us. But yeah, staying busy. So it's been hard to adjust, honestly. For I think a lot of coaches. Especially, I'm sure for you guys as well, where this season is so structured, and you guys have, you know, the preseason that leads into it. So, hopefully, all that work didn't go to waste. I'm sure it's it's difficult for you to see all that work that you put in and, and get, getting the guys geared up. So, how's that kind of sat with you? It's been it's unfortunate you can't do anything about it, but how's that sat with you? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely frustrating to to do, do a preseason, and we felt we had a pretty uh, a pretty good preseason from a goalkeeping standpoint. You know, I think the guys were. We're up to speed and we, you know, felt good. So, so to then after, yeah, just two games to, to have to stop and, and obviously we'll have to redo preseason when, when we do go back. So that's frustrating for sure. But I think, I think in some ways we're maybe in a better position in, in MLS where we didn't really get going in the season. Uh, you know, in Europe, I think it's, it's really difficult for a lot of teams that, are, you know, we're maybe a few games away from, from winning promotion or things like that. So at least we haven't had a, a whole year of, of work go to waste and, and hopefully we're still going to manage to fit in a full season uh, just a little bit later. For sure. Okay. So we can talk about that forever, but I want to get to you and, and get these guys and my you know, followers that are here to ask you questions and uh, just get your knowledge and, and kind of have you, you know, talk about goalkeeping. But Quick introduction for you, Jack. Again, this is all information that I found online, so if it's incorrect, you got to tell me, okay? <laughs> okay, quick introduction, guys, to Jack Stern. Jack uh, started at West Brom, where he was the assistant academy goalkeeper coach and heavily involved in setting the foundation for the youth development phases in the academy. After your four years there at West Brom, you made the move to Canada and joined Montreal Impact, uh, where you became the head of goalkeeping for the academy. After three years in that role, you finally made the first team move and you became one of the youngest goalkeeper coaches in MLS history, from what I have here, I think at 29, to move into a head of goalkeeping role. And then after a year in charge there, you made the move and transition to FC Cincinnati, where now you are the team's head of goalkeeping. I mean, hopefully that's all right, but I want to get your input on how has that journey been like? How has your coaching journey been like thus far? Yeah, it's been, uh, there's been a lot in, in the last sort of 10, 10 years or so, uh, more, more like 12 years that I've been coaching professionally now I stopped playing quite early on um, not really through, through an injury or anything like that I just you know I had a I probably could have had you know a half decent semi-professional career in England um, you know and, and, and just about survived but I felt that I felt that what I really wanted to do was to reach the reach the top um, and looked at my options and realized from quite a young age actually that the way that I'm going to have a, a hopefully a long and successful career at the top level of, of professional soccer is, is is to be a coach so got into that quite early um, you know, I was lucky to, to to meet and have great people around me, and and and, and got lots of opportunities, and and yeah, just tried to take every opportunity that I did, and, tr and tried not to be uh, not to be scared to make a move. I was very settled at West Brom; it was a great club, great club to learn at. Um, you know, I was really happy there. But but when the opportunity came to to move to Montreal, um, you know, I, I definitely don't regret taking that, and and you know, just taking opportunities. And I think that's important for for any any young coach is, is take the opportunities that you get. Don't be frightened. Um, you know, if, if things go wrong, then, then then you just start again. But definitely taking opportunities and, and throwing myself into as many situations as possible was, was important. Yeah, let's talk about those opportunities, though. I think one thing that I, I loved on your uh, LinkedIn page was that you're filing well now, you're French, yeah, French and English. So how was that transition like for you going from, obviously, you said it's kind of comfortable in West Brom, you're going to Montreal, where the native tongue there is, is French. So how was that transition like for you? Yeah, that was, that was one of the most difficult things about moving to Montreal, but also, without doubt, one of the most rewarding parts of it. Um, so my wife is actually from Montreal. She was living in England with me. 
So, so she's actually from Montreal, which is one of the links uh, and one of the reasons that um, you know I took I took the job in Montreal. She's she's uh, she speaks English, Spanish, and French. Um, wow. But her fa- her family at home will speak French, and we were living there for the first few weeks. So you know, I'd already started to to get used to the idea that I was going to need to learn French, or you know, at least be comfortable with the language. Um, you know, seeing as my wife that was that was my wife's first language. But yeah, the first in the academy at Montreal at the time, it was very very French. So a lot of a lot of people from France. Uh, the di- the director of the academy was was French speaking and they're all bilingual, but nearly every meeting was done in French. So my first few mm. weeks in, in Montreal, yeah, it was three or four hour meetings in a, in a classroom, <laughs> everything in French. Me, honestly, other than the pictures, not really understanding anything. <laughs> uh, so that was really tough. Um, but that sort of, you know, um, immersion in a, in a language definitely helps you learn it quickly. I, I did lessons. The club were great about paying for me to have lessons. So I did intensive lessons. Uh, and, and after a couple of months, I started to feel pretty comfortable. And, and yeah, now... Yeah, now feel very comfortable and fluent in, in in French, but that's definitely been something that yeah was was a was a massive bonus for my time in Montreal was getting to learn another language. Uh, so helpful in coaching too. I, I really enjoy now, even in Cincinnati, you know, some of the French speaking players that we have. It's really nice to be able to speak with them in in their language. I think it helps them feel comfortable. So it's definitely something I've enjoyed from from the time in Montreal for sure. And I think that's a, I mean, that's a great story because I think. Again, it's sometimes it's difficult to step into an environment that's foreign to you. And and once you step into it, though, it's like, yeah, it's hard enough to be a goalkeeper coach and have a good culture with your goalkeepers. But then you add a different uh, variable. That's the language. It can be a little bit more difficult. But, you know, you've had so many stops, Jack. And my biggest question to coaches who go to different places like that is your coaching personality. And how would you feel your coaching personality is where it is now? How would you describe it? And kind of where has it been from your first few days in West Brom to now as the head of goalkeeping for Cincinnati? Um, I think, you know, to, comp- to compare how I was as a coach when I started at West Brom to, to how I am now, um, definitely the, the, the confidence that, that all of the experiences bring you helps, you know, so I think that, I think that now more so than when I was at Montreal, uh, sorry, back at West Brom, just, yeah, the confidence of really, of really knowing what you're doing, um, of really having conviction about the way that you want to work. But at the same time, still making sure that you that you question yourself and that, that you're open to, to new ideas and open to changing. I think especially as a young coach, it's, it's all about like kind of experimenting and trying things and, and trying maybe ways of coaching that, that might work for you and might not work and, and discovering that. That's kind of a bit of a journey. So the first the first year or two at West Brom was really me sort of like learning on the job because you, you don't learn how to coach some of the courses that you can do and some of the formations are great, but that's not really where you learn how to coach. You learn by, by, by really being in sessions, by making mistakes. So, so that, first, that first couple of years was really about sort of learning how to coach, you know, make, making my mistakes and then being ready to sort of, you, you, know, you know, step up and, 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 and work obviously at first team level now. It, it's very different to, to when you work at academy level. Yeah, and I think uh, when you, you know, we tell our goalkeepers all the time where, you know, you, you give them some information, you say, hey, add this to your toolbox, and then you can use it whenever you feel you can use it. Uh, for you as a coach, though, over those years, is there anything you've felt that those experience, like you said, those kind of repetitions as a coach and figuring out your voice and finding your voice and getting that confidence, are there any tools that you picked up along the way that you felt have really helped you prop- help propel you to this point? Um, I'm not so, not so sure if it's, a t- if it's necessarily a tool, but but definitely being prepared is is massive for for a coach. Um, the one thing that I'll always say to people that ask me a question like that is, as a as a coach and as a goalkeeper coach, you don't control a huge amount of of what happens. So uh, you don't control maybe how the head coach wants training to go. You don't control certain decisions, and you certainly don't 
even though you can try and put a goalkeeper in the best mind frame and the best physical condition possible, you don't control what happens in the games. So one thing that you do control as a coach is, is your planning and making sure that everything's planned, everything's, uh, you know, all, all the small details are, are, are taken care of. And that's definitely something that I've learned over the years is maybe at first, it was, you know, like you try and come up with some ideas, maybe the day of a session or just before a session. Whereas now I have, you know, the whole season planned, not not every little detail, but definitely go into every every working week, uh, you know, with a plan of exactly what we're going to do on each day and, and still being adaptable to change that because you have to sometimes. But just just I think that that helps you so much as a coach, because then nothing's off the cuff. Nothing is uh you know, you don't get caught out because there's a real plan. And going through your sessions before, so, you know, I always make sure that a session is set out before the goalkeepers even walk onto the grass. The session's already set out, so I'm probably out there an hour, an hour and a half early. And, and just going through the session in my head as well, because that can help so much. Sometimes I'll run through a session in my head and I'm there and I'm looking at it and I'll think, actually, that needs to, that might need to make a little change there. And that, that's so important. And just, it just means that your sessions flow, flow more and, 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 and you can just really use the time better when, when you do that. Absolutely. So for your session planning, can you take me through, let's say, I know a lot of the coaches that I've spoken to, they're very organized. I know I talked to uh, Andrew Sparks and his reputation is that he's very organized. He has everything laid out the way he wants to, Chris Sharp, all the guys that I've spoken to. But for you, what is that that session planning look like let's say with a blank sheet of paper do you do you use a blank sheet of paper do you go on like tactics uh, uh sites and draw it out how do you do it the, re- the reason i'm laughing is that uh, i was uh, i was on a skype call with tim dittmer earlier this week he says hi by the way <laughs> <laughs> i like tim he's a great guy and and, yeah. and shares so much of, of of the good work that he's doing so i really appreciate him being uh, in, in charge of england um, and and we were having a discussion about about this and he was basically saying to me and asking me that same question of saying like what what is the process of how of how you plan a session and, and what does that process look like and he was agreeing with me that it's actually a really hard question to answer because after a certain while of, of coaching a lot of that comes automatically and you don't really think about the process but it's just funny because he asked me the exact same question and it's something that we're working on at the moment to try and find you know what is that process but um for, for me i i have all my computer uh, all my sessions on a computer so i use a computer software but when i first plan a session always with a piece of paper and a pen um and this might sound really cheesy but I always think that designing a session, it's, it's a little bit like you're painting or, or, or creating art. And when you can do that with a, a pen and a paper and scribble stuff out and, and, and draw stuff again and, and really be creative, I, I've always preferred planning my sessions like that. So I'll create them on, on pen and paper and then eventually I'll, I'll put them into computer format because then it's easier to, to replicate sessions and to, and to have a library of sessions on the computer. But yeah, I always plan a session pen and paper to, to start with little stick men <laughs> i do the same thing too i have uh, like a whole drawer of, of just like sessions that i've drawn out but uh, i definitely need to get them on the computer at some point but uh, uh but Jack- especially when you just want to remind yourself of exactly what a session looked like or or you know when you build a library of, of having you know all your sessions on the computer it, it's easier to sort of mix and match stuff and and, and and bring up stuff from the past quickly absolutely and you know when you do your session planning it is, uh, of course, at diff- different age groups, different levels, it's it's going to be completely different based off of the abilities. But when you started at West Brom, what did your sessions look like back then? What like what were you pri- uh, prioritizing as a young coach? Um, I was definitely more technique based um, back then. I think both as a coach, in my approach was more was more uh, you know technique based and draw based. That's something that's changed for, for two reasons. One, because I think I think coaching goalkeeper coaching has changed quite a lot in that sort of twelve year period focusing more on really what does the game look like, uh, you know, game-based training, game-realistic sessions. But it's also because it depends with the goalkeepers that you're working with. So I- I've worked with 
under eight goalkeepers and, and, and now with, with first team goalkeepers and, you know, experienced international goalkeepers. And when you work with, with, with at the first team level, I think you can make the sessions look more like the game than you can at the very young academy level. It doesn't mean you can't do it at all at the young academy level, but that is the age where you, you really need to teach the basic skills. And, and, and you're more of a teacher almost than a coach. So teaching the basic skills, working on techniques, uh, because those techniques haven't been established yet in, in, in young goalkeepers, and you can still mould them. So def- definitely when I was working with the academy at West Brom, there was a lot more technical work, a lot more sort of drill-based work. Um, whereas now we still do that here with, with the first team goalkeepers at Cincinnati. We still work on, on technical things, but it doesn't form as much of the session as what it would have done when I started coaching. Absolutely. And yeah, it's an interesting point that you bring up, though. I've, I've, any coach that I've had on here, we've always talked about technical versus tactical. But um, you've, again, been in three different areas where you've been in England, you've been in Canada and now the U.S. So my, my question to you is, what has that looked like, that the, the youth development from England and then you came to Canada what did those look like in comparison and then how did I guess England and Canada compare to the US I think um definitely when I when I made the move from from England to to Montreal the level it, it was quite a big step down in terms of the level of the young goalkeepers and that that was partly because obviously you know West Brom was was a club an academy that had been around for years we were already working in in the way that we wanted to work had already had some goalkeepers that had started at under 10 and gone right through to, to, to play with the first team and, and be part of the first team squad. So it, it was it was much more established um, and the goalkeepers were, were definitely technically further ahead. Um, but that was part of the challenge for me to go to Montreal was was when I first went, there was one, one goalkeeper coach there, great guy, but they didn't really have a full um, philosophy, a goalkeeping philosophy, um, a way of working from the youngest age group in the academy to the, to the first team. So that was something that, that I... Uh, had to create when I got there and that was that was part of the challenge as well so e- even though I saw that the level was behind that was that was what my job was there to do was to bring that level up and to, and to put something in place where there was a real system of working yeah definitely a big difference between England and Canada by the time I left I, I definitely felt that the that the level had improved uh, and it's improving in, in MLS all the time so you know between Canada and the States, I don't think there's huge differences, but I just think that the level, I've seen a huge difference from seven, eight years ago from where the level of, of MLS academies were uh, and youth soccer was. It, it, it's coming on all the time. And, and I think we're making really good strides in, in the U.S. at the moment to improve that. That's awesome. And uh, I, I recently noticed that your your title changed from just goalkeeper coach at FC Cincinnati to head of goalkeeping. So what does that change mean? Is it now you're involved in the academy system and you kind of have a little bit more of a pulse on that? Or how does that change? Yeah, well, last season... Um, was, was the first year that we had an academy at FC Cincinnati. So the academy started last year. So beforehand, I, I really was just the, the, the first team goalkeeper coach because that, that's all that we had here. But, but as the club grows, my role hasn't necessarily changed. That, that title is just a little bit more reflective of, of, of what the job is. And I think if, if as a goalkeeper coach, as a first team goalkeeper coach at a professional club, I think it's your responsibility to, to make sure that you have contact with the academy, that you're trying to educate all the coaches, all the goalkeeper coaches around you, that you're trying to work together. Because ultimately what we want to do at, at Cincinnati is have a, an academy that can produce... Uh, players but goalkeepers for our first team and, and we want a kid from Cincinnati to come through the academy and then play in our MLS team that's the dream so uh, it's important to be involved in that and I think just wanting to make sure that we really set something up here for the club to have success uh, in the long-term future rather than just focusing on the, the first team games every week it's, it's trying to look at the whole club and, and move that forward. Yeah, that's great and I, I have a question here from Nico uh, Nico M 2005 
And it's going based off of this. It's talking about what do you look for in youth goalkeepers? So, you know, talking about that lineage from the academy system now moving into the first team at FC Cincinnati, for you as a coach, what are you looking for when you're scouting younger goalkeepers? I think when you're looking at, at young goalkeepers, of course you, you want to see as much as possible that you've got a goalkeeper who's, who's well-rounded, uh, you know, who has good technical abilities, who has good physical abilities. But I also think that something that maybe sometimes we overlook is having, and again, this comes a little bit from a conversation I had with Tim earlier in the week, is, is having an outstanding quality. So if there's a goalkeeper, a young goalkeeper, have something that, that you really like about them, uh, that really stands out. So are they, you know, incredibly athletic? Are they, you know, really, really brave? Um, something like this. Because I think if you look too much at, you know, can the goalkeeper do this, 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 you're going to find some things that they can't do. Um, I think you have to accept that with young goalkeepers, that all young goalkeepers will have some deficiencies. But when you can see that, you know, that, that kind of like that bright spark, that's something exciting about a goalkeeper, you know, such a great ability to make saves, can take crosses all the time. Something like that where you can say, OK, they have this outstanding quality. And, and how can I now or how can we work with that goalkeeper and bring them in and improve them in maybe areas that aren't as good? But, but I think seeing, yeah, seeing something special in a, in a young goalkeeper is always something that, that brings your attention to them. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, going off of, I have some questions here about height. And I think uh, I've asked every coach that's come on here about height because it's a very popular question. Uh, but we're talking about those redeeming qualities that say you're not good at, uh, you're not that, you're not that tall, but you can judge crosses, you can time crosses really, really well. So, what is your stance on shorter goalkeepers? Is it something that you've changed your recruitment aspects for them, or do you look for again those uh, outstanding qualities? I think, um, and again, we we did a webinar with the academy goalkeepers here yesterday. Me and the academy goalkeeper coach, and and this is this is one of the questions that was asked and that we talked about. Um, and, and you've already touched on it that, that having a redeeming feature or redeeming features is, is so important. I think if we're all honest as goalkeeper coaches, as, as head coaches, ideally you want the goalkeeper to, you know, to be on the tall side. So to be the right side of six foot going towards maybe six foot two. I don't think there's a magic number, but I think if we're being realistic and honest that, that, that all goalkeeper coaches want that ideally doesn't mean that if you're not that height, you can't be a professional goalkeeper, but you have to excel in, in, in other areas. So, so for a goalkeeper that's maybe under six foot, I think being really good with your positioning, um, it can be, be really beneficial because if you're two or three inches in the wrong position, that's as uh, debilitating as having two or three inches less in, in, in your wingspan. So really getting to know the game, being an expert in terms of positioning and, and always being in the right, the right position. Uh, also, you know, to really work on your technique as a smaller goalkeeper, I think is important because again, the, the speed of your footwork, the speed of, of, of your release into a dive, those are the types of things that, that make you move quicker. And again, you know, keep mentioning inches, but, but, if, but if you move your feet an extra two inches quicker, uh, then you're making up that difference of height to a goalkeeper that, that maybe has a you know a bigger reach. So I, I really think there are lots of ways that as a smaller goalkeeper you can you, you can still have a professional career and, and excel. But yeah, definitely finding areas of your game. Maybe it's being really really good with your distribution. I've worked with some some smaller goalkeepers. So I'll, I'll mention him here, uh, Spencer Ritchie, who's not small, uh, but he's good. just he's just over six foot. Spencer's good technically, and he's also one of the best goalkeepers I've worked with uh, in terms of coming for crosses. Uh, and that's because he's always had to really work on his technique and his timing for coming for crosses because he's not always been the biggest. But he, he can take crosses as well as, you know, a six foot five goalkeeper and come as high as a six foot five goalkeeper because his technique's good and his timing's good. So, again, it's, it's trying to look at those things. That if you're giving away a couple of inches, how can I make that up in other areas? And there's so many there's so many other areas that you can make it up in. No, that's a great, great answer, Jack. And I think that's the... That's the thing that I think I, I spoke to Tim about and other goalkeeper coaches as well is that 
if you're a younger goalkeeper, don't always just leave it into the hands of the coach where, of course, the coach is going to have sessions that he's going to draw out or she's going to draw out. But if you can get to the point where like, okay, I'm not going to be tall and you can be realistic with that because I know a lot of us, we know what our size of our parents are. So most likely, genetically, we're not going to be that tall. And so what are the little things? Let's reverse engineer. What are the little things about being short that I could work on? Okay, crosses I'm not very good at. Positioning I'm not very good at. Okay, those two things, can I be exceptional at those? Can I ask my coach for for more sessions like that? And the reason I bring that up, Jack, is because I've watched a lot of your sessions and my God, they're, they're, one, you're talking about being organized and being well thought out. You're you're one of the best coaches in terms of making those, those sessions game realistic and creating those decisions for those goalkeepers. So for you, has that been an evolution over time or did you from the start say, okay, I'm going to be way more tactical and more decision approach um i think at the very at the very start I, w- I was definitely more you know focused on on technique focused on drills and that's also because when when i was younger and i was playing that was how goalkeeper coaching was mostly so most of my goalkeeper training you know when i was in an academy was, was a lot of you know footwork through cones catch a ball then dive do things in you know a certain pattern and an order and that wasn't necessarily wrong but it but it was definitely wasn't you know particularly tactically based you weren't having to make a lot of decisions at West Brom I was really lucky to come in at a time when there was just a great group of coaches there um a lot of those coaches have now moved on to work with the FA so I mentioned someone like Aaron Aaron Danks who, who works with the FA now was one of the outfield coaches when I arrived at the academy Mark Naylor who's the uh, head academy goalkeeper coach for Aston Villa now, but he was there with me at West Brom as well. And Dean Kiley was the first team goalkeeper coach when I was there. And all of those people, as, as well as other people that were there, were just so so creative and so forward thinking with their ideas. And, and it was a, an environment where people really challenged each other too. So if I was doing a goalkeeping session, uh, you, you know, the other coaches would sometimes watch and they'd make comments and they'd say, hey, you know, like, like, can you do this differently? Can you can you make them make more decisions like this? So it was a really good environment as a young coach to be in because it was uh, really challenging, but also you know really supportive. And and I think that my time at West Brom really really set me up well as as a goalkeeper coach to sort of you know have creative ideas and and think a little bit outside the box. Um, and I've just tried to always take it, take it on from there. And I'm still in touch with a lot of those coaches who were there at West Brom with me. And, and yeah, just you know, being creative and having ideas and not being scared to fail with sessions too. I did that, you know, I still do that with the goalkeepers now at FC Cincinnati. I've said to them a couple of times, like, guys, I've never done this session before. I'd, I've just made it up or, you know, I've seen someone else do something similar to this. So we're going to try this and, and say, like, if it's not working, that's on me. And, and maybe we'll have, to, we'll have to change the session halfway through. <laughs> but I think, obviously, you can't do that every day. Uh, and you need to have a certain relationship with your goalkeepers before you start doing that. I wouldn't suggest that a coach goes in and just try something completely different on their first day. Uh, but definitely being, you know, not being scared to fail at times and being creative w- with things. Um, that, that's how you come up with ideas. Uh, yeah. And again, I wish you would post more of your sessions because when, again, when we watch those younger coaches like me, when we watch those sessions, it really gets you thinking into the thought process. I think it was... Tim or somebody I had recently on, they were talking about how when you're younger, you just go to these sessions and you watch the the drills. But as you get older as a coach, you become a little bit more sophisticated in the mind and go, what, why, why did Jack draw that up? Why did he decide to put this at the you know third activation? So um, for you, how, how important has that been in your coaching journey to have those mentors who have allowed you to or given you those spaces to, to have those trials and errors? Yeah, no, it, I think it's... Uh it's hugely important and I would, I would recommend that to any young coach as well. If, if you can find, if you can find someone and it doesn't even have to be one person, but if you can find a group of, of coaches who have some experience, who have more experience than you and are willing to, 
to share ideas and are willing to maybe take you under your wing a little bit. It's so important and so beneficial. Like I've already said, I, I was lucky at West Brom to have, to have Mark Naylor, to have Dean Kiley. Uh, since I left West Brom, I haven't had too many sort of, you know, too many other people that, you know, I would say have necessarily been a, been a mentor. I've maintained those relationships. But when I moved to Montreal and now in Cincinnati, you're less surrounded by... Um, by goalkeeper coaches, just in the sense that in England, such a small country, that we would have sort of goalkeeper conferences and goalkeeping get-togethers every couple of months. And yeah. you would be, you know, you train sometimes in the same city, so it's much easier to meet up. So that's something that I found harder when I came to Montreal. But but it's something that now I think, especially, you know, in, in this last sort of three, four-week period when everyone's had to be at home, you can you can have you know valuable conversations online with people too. So yeah. even if you don't even if you don't have access to someone who's you know in your city or, or living close enough for you to go and meet up with them, then I think you know as a young coach, yeah, reach out to people, ask if you know ask if they'd mind like you know mentoring you a little bit or answering some questions. I think that's really important. It can really help you as a coach. And I and I think especially for goalkeeper coaches, you'll find the majority of, of goalkeeper coaches are willing to share. Uh, you know, open. I, you know, I think we all feel a little bit like you know we're a little family in, inside of the soccer world. So I'd be surprised if if you don't find people often sort of willing to willing to help. So definitely great for a young goalkeeper coach to do that. Uh, yeah, now we're, now we're agreed 100%. But now that we're talking about goalkeeper coaches and just again, as you are obviously recruiting those goalkeepers and recruiting this and scouting the younger goalkeepers for goalkeeper coaches as well. What are the three or four things that maybe not three or four, maybe two or three things that you've you want in a goalkeeper coach that's maybe an understudy for you or somebody that you want to groom? What are two or three things that you feel are intangibles that somebody can bring that you really uh, feel are, are priorities for you? I think the two that spring to mind straight away are uh, being passionate and, and being hardworking. And I'll explain that a little bit more. For, for me, if you're not passionate about goalkeeping and about goalkeeper coaching, uh, then then you can't convey the passion and convey that knowledge onto onto the goalkeepers that you work with. So so passion, I think, is so important because it drives you on too. It's it's, it's passion that makes you want to be creative, that makes you want to, you know, think about the game, think about the position. So b- being passionate is, is huge. And hardworking, it sounds so simple to say hardworking because I feel like anyone would say, well, I want, I want a coach to be hardworking. But coaching is really not as not as glamorous or as sort of easy as it looks you've got you've got to put so many hours of of work in to to become an expert Uh, when i started at west brom i was working for free so it was on a volunteer basis i was having to leave my house at sort of six in the morning freezing cold uh you know work all day on a saturday coaching you know eight and nine year olds and ten year olds and and that was tough and and if i wasn't passionate i wouldn't have kept doing it because i wasn't making money probably wasn't particularly enjoying it at that point because it was really hard it was a slog you know sometimes my sessions weren't good because i wasn't you know, I wasn't a good coach yet. So yeah. you've got to, you've got to have the passion and the, and the willingness to work hard to get through that. And like I said, even at, even at the first team level, it's not that glamorous. Like, of course, it's it's exciting when you're in stadiums with 60,000 people and, and your goalkeeper's playing great. And, you know, that, that's a lovely part of the job. But the day-to-day, the day-to-day work of it, it, it's a lot of grind. It's long days. And, and, I, and I love doing it. I'm not complaining for a minute. But unless you're prepared to, to really work hard, then you won't go that far in coaching because to be really good at it, you have to work really hard. If any coaches are listening, please write that down and put it on the wall. It's um, definitely important. I think one other thing I'd say is also, and I kind of touched on it already, but but just to have that sort of um, that curious nature and to, and, and to want to learn and be open to learning too. So much of the, the good stuff that I've discovered in coaching is, is, 
in through being curious, not being frightened to ask questions and things like that as well. Uh, Jack, I want to get to some of these questions now because I think people have a good uh, background and, and knowledge of who you are in the context. So uh, one of these questions is from Coach Thames. One, he says, the three goalkeepers at FC Cincinnati are all very different. How do you make, sh- they make sure they're all getting what they need from training based on their strengths and weaknesses? Does it change based on who's the number one? I think that, that, that's a great question. And, I, and I'd, agree with, um, I'd agree with his assessment too, that we do at the moment, we have three goalkeepers uh, with quite different profiles and, and quite different skill sets. I think, I think that, that you have to be, uh, you have to be open to accept that. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in um, that you've, you've got to maximize each goalkeeper's skill set and each, and each goalkeeper's sort of, um, you know, to, toolbox. So every goalkeeper is an individual and you have to accept that and to work with that and try and maximize them. We have a goalkeeping profile that, that, that we want to try and get. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they all look the same or, or, or move the same. In terms of training day to day, uh, it doesn't mean that I do something different with one goalkeeper in particular. They'll do the same session because I believe if, you, if, if you're clever and you're smart with the way that you plan a session, you can still get everyone you know, the right amount of work that they need. One thing that I've always done, and I thought about it earlier when you talked about the extra practice, is I've always said to the goalkeepers I've worked with at first team level, if, if I'm not doing something that you feel you need, come to me and, and, and tell me because I, it's so individual goalkeeping and, and, and I, I, I can say to myself, okay, I'm a really good coach. I've got experience. I can plan these great sessions. It, it's not that necessarily I'm doing anything wrong as a coach, but I just might be missing something that another goalkeeper wants, but, you know, whether that's for confidence, whether that's for technique, certain little drills that, that they really need to do or like to do. So I've always said that to the goalkeepers. And so sometimes, uh, you know, a goalkeeper will come out maybe 10 minutes early with me and we'll say, yeah, let's start 10 minutes early and we'll do 10 minutes of catching volleys on your knees because you want that for your confidence. That's fine. Often at the end of sessions too, you know, I'll always say to goalkeepers at the, at the end, you know, as long as we haven't worked too hard and I'm not trying to watch the physical load, like, yeah, if you want to do five, 10 minutes of, of extra work, let's go. But, but, but you're going to be the one that leads it. You tell me what you want, because that way we're, we're really making sure that, that, that we get what each goalkeeper needs. And, and the goalkeepers here at FC Cincinnati are great at that. Uh, you know, having their own input and saying, listen, I'd like to do five minutes of this, 10 minutes of this. And I think I, I would encourage every every goalkeeper coach and every goalkeeper to, to be open to doing that because cause that way you don't you don't miss out important things. That's another great answer, Jack. And I, I kind of want to build off of that point that you're making in terms of the collaborative effort and seeing what, like Andrew Sparks said, making sure you understand what each goalkeeper needs and, and obviously what makes them tick as well. So you understand the personalities and how you can best approach your, your session planning to accommodate for those things. And uh, one thing that I thought about when I was reading your profile is when you made the move from you know from the academy to the first team, let's say I was at Montreal and then at FC Cincinnati, what was, can you just take me through what were those like first two or three weeks with the guys like and how were, how did you navigate getting to know them, uh, putting the right sessions for them and you know making sure that you kept them happy? Yeah, um, there was definitely a change. It was interesting in, in Montreal. It was interesting because Montreal was my first, uh, like my first first team job. So that was the first time that I made that that step up to MLS level. But I'd already been at the club for a number of years, so I already knew the goalkeepers very well. When I, when when I took the the MLS job at Montreal, there was uh, Evan Bush was the the first team goalkeeper. We had Maxine Crepo was there as well. And, and Eric Kronberg. And so I already knew those goalkeepers. I'd worked with Max for, for two or three years with the USL team in Montreal and with the academy. And, you know, I'd, I'd formed still really good, you know, good friends with Max and with, with Evan. You know, I still speak to Evan on a weekly basis. So we'd already had a good relationship. So that, that made it easier for me to make that step up. I wasn't coming into a, um, a brand new environment. But I think what I told myself when I, when I first made that step up was, 
you're here for a reason. You're here because people have seen you work well and what you do works. So so not trying to reinvent the wheel, like not going in and thinking, okay, I'm a first team goalkeeper coach now. I've got to do this, this and this differently. No, I maybe had to make, you know, slight differences of the way that I talk to the guys or, or manage personalities. Uh, you know, because with, with younger goalkeepers, you can kind of say whatever you want yeah. and they're going to agree and do it because, you know, because they have that, you know, respect and they're young. Uh, whereas you get challenged more at first team level. But I think not trying to do everything differently. You, you get to where you get to, you know, in your coaching career and your playing career by doing the things that you do, uh, you know, and if you're doing things well, then you don't have to completely change that. So, yeah, it, it was a step up and I felt that for the first few weeks and I was maybe a little bit more nervous, but, but you know, once you get on the field, you're coaching, you, you trust the information that you're giving. And the goalkeepers, that's the other thing with goalkeepers. If you're working with goalkeepers and they can see that you're prepared, uh, you know, the, the passion for the game, that you work hard, that you have knowledge for the game, those are all that, that the, a goalkeeper cares about. And can you help me improve my game? And can you help me train well? And if you can do those things, then then a goalkeeper doesn't care if you're, if you're 25 or you're 65, you know? Um, yeah. I'm a big believer in that as well. Yeah, another another great answer, Jack. And I could talk to you about these things forever, but I have to get to some of these questions, unfortunately. Uh, one of these questions, Logan Bittner, he asked this question to everybody, which I love. And he says, what is something that younger goalkeepers neglect that they should be prioritizing more of? Good question. I think it, it, that's a hard question to answer because I think that's probably individual for, for each goalkeeper. Um, the, the one thing, and I said this to our academy goalkeepers recently too, the one thing that I think I see a lot of young goalkeepers do is they try and work on what they're good at. So if you've got a goalkeeper who's technically really tidy and, and you know, moves well and, and really good catching shape, often when you say to that goalkeeper, so we're, we're going back to the scenario of like, oh, okay, you've got 10 extra minutes at the end of training. What do you want to do? Goalkeepers will often choose what they're good at and what makes them feel good. And that's fine. You need to do that. But I would definitely challenge young goalkeepers. And it's like I said to our academy goalkeepers this week, work on your weaknesses. Go and work on what you're bad at. Because that's not a particularly enjoyable 10 minutes. If you're sort of, you know, trying to think of an example, if you're low diving to the left is, is poor and, and you don't have a lot of success with it, then it's kind of like not fun to go and work on that for 10, 15 minutes. But that is what will make you better as a goalkeeper. Because you can't afford as a goalkeeper now at the professional level to have a, a, a glaring weakness. You know, of course, you can have things that you're better at and that you're not as strong at. But if you've got a real glaring weakness in your game, you won't be able to be a professional goalkeeper at the top level. So find those weaknesses, find the weaknesses that you have and challenge yourself to really attack those, uh, even, even though, even with the knowledge that it won't be the most fun, but that's what will improve your game the most. And I think, Jack, sometimes that can come down to the psychological profile of some of the goalkeepers where they don't want to, they don't want to test themselves because they don't want to see themselves fail. And I think, I think definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, there's a question here. Sorry, go ahead. But I also think, because uh, you're making me think of something there too, it's important for goalkeepers to not try and protect themselves too much. So I know that when I was a young goalkeeper, I, I didn't necessarily want to say to my coach, oh, I'm not good at this. Like, I don't feel great or feel real confident with this. Can we work on this? Because you don't want him to see you failing over and over again. You've got to have the confidence in your coach. One, if you've, if you've identified a weakness, if your coach is any good, he's probably identified it too. So, so there's no point in hiding from it. So I think, yeah, not, not being too scared to make yourself vulnerable. I think most coaches will embrace and actually really appreciate that a goalkeeper comes to them and says, I don't think I'm very good at this. I need to work at it more, much more so than, than, than trying to hide that. Another great answer. And to build off of that point, Jack, and talk about the psychological side, I have a question here from Coach Nick. Um, he just wants me to touch base a little bit on the psychological part of the game on and off the field. So uh, I had a recent conversation with Paul Rogers, and he mentioned the winner's mentality. And how important is that when, you pro, uh, when you're profiling a player? Is it your job as a coach to bring that mentality out of them in every session and kind of that psychological pressure and how to withstand it and, and counter that? Or is it something about finding players who already have that in them? I, th I think it's a bit of both. 
I, th I think it's, it's your job as a goalkeeper coach to, when you're scouting and, and recruiting goalkeepers, that you try and identify the winning mentality. And obviously, that's not that's not as easy as as, as it sounds because you know a, w a winning mentality and a good mentality isn't necessarily sort of immediately visible. But I think definitely, you know, as, as a goalkeeper coach, you need to try and create someone who's a winner, who's competitive, you know, who, who wants to play, who wants to who wants to improve. That's really important. As a coach, your job is to set the environment. And that's a lot of what you're doing is, is just setting an environment for the goalkeepers to come into. So I think I think as a goalkeeper coach, setting a competitive environment. So, you know, there's elements of training that, that needs to be competitive and, you know, you're keeping scores, uh, you're pushing pushing goalkeepers against each other. That's really important, too. And, and that's your responsibility as, as the goalkeeper coach to create that environment. But you need the help from the goalkeepers to do that, too. And you need them to have the right type of personalities. And it's interesting, too, because it's a, it's a fine balance uh, as a goalkeeper. You have to be competitive. Uh, and want to be a winner all the time, but you also have to respect that you're in a goalkeeping group, and and that dynamic of a goalkeeping group, um, the best goalkeepers they want to win all the time, but they also respect that that the other goalkeepers in the group are helping them be better because they're pushing them on. So it, it, that's a real fine balance between you don't want three guys that all hate each other and all just want to play every week and you know want to want to win everything because at some point that's going to break down. So you also you need you need both sides of it. You need that winning mentality, but you also need to have you know, goalkeepers that, that respect, you know, the other goalkeepers in the group, because that, that helps everyone improve. I agree. And I think, again, it's setting that culture. So you getting into these these first team uh, scenarios, you're trying to set the culture to make sure that obviously there is respect between the one and the three and making sure that everybody has a positive attitude coming in. But is it your, it's your job, obviously, is it to work with the personalities that you have and create the culture based off of the personalities? Or do you come in with an idea of what your culture is going to look like and you really try and implement that? I think ideally you have an idea of what you want your culture to be, of how you want your goalkeepers to be, of how you want the work environment to be. Uh, and, and you put that into place again that depends a little bit on the situation that you're in you know how much how much control as a goalkeeper coach or as a head of goalkeeping is the club giving you in that situation so you know I, I've, I've been at clubs where I wasn't given a huge amount of control over necessarily whether that's recruitment whether that's with you know how how the whole culture will be uh, whereas now I'm in a situation at, at, at Cincinnati where when I arrived, the club was only, you know, in its in its third season, and there wasn't really a, a goalkeeping department. So I was able to come in here and, and really give them the freedom, and you know, very appreciative to the club and, and the people that brought me here and and the environment that we work in, where they really, you know, said to me, "This is your role: create the goalkeeping department and and set the culture and and, and set the tone." So I feel a lot of responsibility for the goalkeeping department at FC Cincinnati because, you know. In essence, you know, we, we created it, you know, a few years ago. So that's something that's still growing, but but something that, you know, yeah, I, f I feel that we have a strong culture and, 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 and that's hugely important, especially if you want to be in a role or at a club for a long period of time. So I've never been someone that, even though I've moved, you know, three different countries, I've never been someone that wanted to, you know, change club every year. You know, I, I really believe in, in, in dedicating yourself to a club to, you know, really trying to set something up for the long term and set up a conveyor belt from our academy now into the first team. But that's something that doesn't happen overnight. And it also it's something that doesn't happen without having a strong culture and a strong identity. So if you want that, you have to be prepared to, you know, to, to set the tone with that. I love it. I think and uh, one of the things that I struggle with, Jack, and I've been very open about this is I think patience to understand that there's a process to things and I think you know like you said sometimes you maybe run sessions that you may not feel like they're going to be 
like executed the right way or you're trying to execute it the right way, but you're like, okay, there's maybe opportunity here for this to go off the rails, but I'm okay with that. It's because it's a process, right? You're always constantly evolving and saying, okay, like I'm willing to take this chance because I know what's on the other side of that, that door. Uh, um, yeah, 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 definitely. Okay. So again, I'm going to ask you some, some of these questions here and this is a good one. Uh, DK one goalkeeping. He says, how does Jack structure his sessions in the week building up to a game? And does he ever find himself repeating any sessions? Yeah. Uh, great question. I did a presentation with GK Nexus uh, last week, which is actually going to, uh, I think that's coming out in the next few days. We're, we're actually present a presentation uh, that goes into that, that talks exactly about how we work on, on each day leading up to a game. But I'll just give you a, an example of we were training four to five days leading up to a Saturday game. And again, th this can vary because it also depends on the head coach that you have. So I've worked for a number of different head coaches, some head coaches who will want uh, the day after the game will want the players to be off. Some want them to be in. Also, some coaches who have a day off in the middle of the week, some coaches who don't. So, so that depends on the head coach a little bit. But ideally in a week, if we had a game on, uh, on a Saturday, the Monday would be our first day of training. So they'd be off on the Sunday. Monday would be um, like a technical day for the goalkeepers. So that's where we'd do some more of the drill-based stuff. Um, quite a lot of hand handling, so catching the ball, uh, you know, footwork work, really basic technique. We have quite a long session, maybe about an hour or so of that before going with the team for a little bit. The Tuesday and the Wednesday is the day that we work physically harder. Um, so again, some coaches like the Wednesday off. So if the Wednesday's off, then Tuesday is the heavier day. Um, and there we'll do, you know, a fair amount of conditioning. So that's maybe some of the more old school goalkeeping work, you know, diving up and down, you know, quickly working through cones into explosive movements, uh, less decision making in those days. Um, on, on Wednesday, we do like uh, reactions and 1v1 and blocking. Wednesday is the day or, or the middle day of the week is the day that I'd often do some of the more sort of organized chaos work. So, you know, two goal works and sort of lots of random service. And that's because I really believe in, in it's a bit like an arc that leads into a game. So uh, the week. So we start off the week quite controlled, quite calm. In the middle of the week is where we're going to put more mental stress on the goalkeepers, make them make more decisions, also physically stress them more. And then as we approach the game, so the Thursday and Friday become lighter um, as, as we start to approach the game. So on a Thursday, we'll often work crossing and distribution. And then a Friday is a match preparation session. That match preparation session is always the same the day, the day before a game. It is at the moment here at FC Cincinnati because that's how, how the goalkeepers have worked with the goalkeepers. That's how they like it. You know, they like to have that day, you know, some control over that day before a game. Uh, but hopefully that answers the question. We kind of, yeah, we go from sort of easy, hard, back down to sort of a little bit easier the day or the two days leading up to, uh, to a game. There was also in that question about whether I repeat sessions. Not often in a week. Um, during the week, I'll, I'll, I'll try and make sure that, that every session is, is different. But in terms of like from one week to another, there's definitely sessions that we revisit regularly. Like uh, I use that example again, the organized chaos work. So the two goals and also, you know, where there's one goal and, and you're passing between three goalkeepers in front and anything can happen. Uh, that work, that, that session, those type of session we do pretty much every week in the middle of a week, you know, um, but just little variations all the time. But that's something also as a coach that, um, I think early on, maybe you don't appreciate enough is that a session doesn't have to be completely different 
to have different sort of outcomes and different challenges for the goalkeepers. So you can make small tweaks in, in what the service is like or how, the, how, or how certain things are positioned can actually give you really different outcomes of a session. So we, we repeat, you know, a fair amount of sessions, but it's still just because you're repeating a session doesn't mean that you're just getting the same outcomes and, and not having decision making. You can still, you can still create that even using the, using the same sessions. I actually think as a coach, it's really important to have some sessions that you repeat regularly because it, it just means that, uh, you know, you're comfortable with them. The goalkeepers are comfortable with them. You know the outcome you're going to get. So, again, and I say this a lot, it's a lot about the balance too. You need some repetition and then you need some surprises. And we try and try and make sure our goalkeepers experience that throughout the week. No, I've noticed that from your sessions. It seems like there's a lot of variability. The goalkeepers have to think a lot. And that is something that um, even... I think it was Paul. I've, I've, I've talked to a few MLS goalkeeper coaches and they've kind of all relayed the same message that you can have a session that you planned. You go out there and you actually get the session done, but you get the coaching points are completely different than what you in, intended on it being. So I think, again, it's that ad- adaptability and being able to have that eye to adjust to the coaching points on the fly, uh, which is huge. Yeah, definitely. And, and I made the point earlier about how important it is to be organized. When you're organized and everything's planned, it gives you the freedom to then be adaptable. Mm. It, because, because you know what you want from the session, you know how the session you know should work and, and, and the way things are going to go. And when you have that control over a session, it, it makes it much much easier for you then when you see, okay, this isn't working or, or this is going in a completely direction to, to what I thought it would do. Because, because it's planned, I hope that makes sense. And because yeah. you're not then panicking, it's much easier to say, okay, we can be adaptable with this because, because you're working off a framework that, that, that you maybe already expected something like this to happen. Coaches, remember, be organized. Make sure you have the yeah. You make sure you plan everything out, which I think is is super important again to get garner that respect of the goalkeepers to know that you actually have a rhythm and a rhyme for a reason why you're doing things, and also too for yourself as well to allow yourself that uh, leeway to adapt the session as as it progresses. No, definitely. Listen, I, I worked with I've worked, and I'm sure we've all had that. But I worked with some coaches when I was younger, both as a coach and, and as a goalkeeper where you know you'd go on the you'd go on the field and the coach would be like kind of scratching his head he'd be throwing some cones down and you could see you could see that it was being <laughs> that it was being made up on the spot and that's and and it just I just don't think that, that that's respectful of of the profession of you know of goalkeepers of, of of what you're trying to achieve so yeah that's I've had experience of that before and that's why why it's something I think is so important agreed and uh, one of my buddies from elite goalkeeping Jonathan Lamelli who works for the uh, academy here at the Galaxy and he says, uh, I'm going to rephrase this question, but essentially what I think he's trying to get at is what other responsibilities do you have other than just being the goalkeeper coach? So do you, let's say, look at the scouting report and say they like to play balls over the top because their center back may have time. So let's try and get our back four in a drill that shows my goalkeepers that picture. So do you have any, I guess, say on like the defensive video analysis and running certain exercises with the team? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's actually, it's funny because the, the bulk sort of, of my work in a week is not really session planning or, or and, and even delivering the session that's an hour or two on the field each day but the bulk the bulk of the week is is in the office working on video and analyzing the opponent so the, the main the main responsibilities that i have with the video for the goalkeepers I, I produce before each game at the beginning of the week about a 45 minute long video of all of the next opposition's key attacking players so obviously they're set of forwards usually they're wingers uh, the attacking midfielders, if they've got fullbacks that, that are heavily involved or even a holding midfielder that gets forwards a lot, then they'll be in there too. So individual clips on those players, uh, the set pieces for the goalkeepers, all the penalties. Uh, and that, that's condensed into a 45-minute video that, that gets sent to them online and they can watch uh, 
watching the phone or watching the computer. I also send that to the defenders. Um, it's their choice if they want to watch that. But again, just, just so they can pick up on little cues, uh, little tendencies that, that the opposition might have. I then also do a scout on the opposition goalkeeper which is something I don't know how many how many teams or how many other goalkeeper coaches do that. I've asked a few players and a lot of them haven't seen it before where it's often about a three or four minute video of areas that I think the opposition goalkeeper, it's not even necessarily a weakness, but just how he plays, um, you know, and certain areas that he might give up space, um, you know, things that he might not like. So I present that to the whole team. So that, that's, yeah, a three or four minute video with that. I'm also at the moment responsible for the defensive set pieces. So watching the other team's defensive set pieces, then having to, uh, then, you know, come up with how, how we're going to combat that and, and then doing that with, with the players on the team. I'm lucky here that we've got, you know, some great coaches around me at FC Cincinnati. So uh, Johan Dame is the, the interim head coach at the moment. Um, I was with him in Montreal as well, and, and he's been here the whole time I've been in, in Cincinnati. And he's very good at involving uh, the goalkeepers and involving the goalkeeper coach in the planning of sessions. So uh, if there's something that affects the goalkeepers or the back four or the forwards, uh, you know, he, he's great at asking me, uh, you know, we'll, we'll create things together. We'll come up with, with, with ways of working together. So that's a, that's a really important role of, of a goalkeeper coach and something that I think has changed a lot since I was, since I started is, is how involved you are with the team. You can't just, you can't just go off to the side and, and, and just do your goalkeeping session and then forget about everything else. You're much more integrated with the team now. So, so yeah, hopefully that answers it a little bit, but a lot, a lot of the work is, is in the office, is cutting video, is making video, is watching the opponent. Uh, of course, I didn't even mention this, but we film every session. So every session gets sent to the goalkeepers afterwards so they can watch it at home. Uh, and then also, if I see important things, then, then I'll go over that footage with the goalkeepers, uh, you know, out of the training ground. And of course, looking at game footage as well. So going, going through what went well and what didn't go, go well. So the weeks, are, honestly, I'm, I'm not just saying this and, you know, to, to say that, oh, you know, we work hard. The weeks, a typical day, you know, in Cincinnati, I'll, I'll leave, leave home around 6, 6.30 because I like to work out before before the first meeting I work out in the morning and then I probably won't get home until four or five each day you know of course there are some days when you can get home earlier um maybe towards the end of the week when everything's prepared for the game um but it's not unusual to to have days yeah where you're, where you're at the training ground from from seven till you know sometimes even later sometimes till five five or six because because there's so much that goes it there's so much that goes into the job that isn't seen that isn't just what happens on the field Absolutely. So, Jack, we have about five minutes, and I'm going to try and get to as many as we can here. So, just kind of spitfire. So, if you feel you can need to take a little bit longer, go for it. But I want to try and get as many of these answered. So, uh, I'll try to give you uh, some quick answers. <laughs> you'll be on the on, on call here. So, first one I have is from uh, B M Unger 15. He says, other than those competitions, what elements, what type of elements do you integrate into your sessions to replicate the stress and pressures that your goalkeepers feel during a game? Um, uh, one big thing that we make sure we have is is, is a mentality here that um, we're not going to apologise for scoring on each other in training. So so when goals go in, uh, when when this, when you know we're shooting on each other and, and they're good shots and they go in off the post or you know it beats a goalkeeper, we try and make sure we're not apologising for that. You have to get used to the fact that in a game. Uh, you will concede goals and you've got to bounce back from that. Um, you've also got to work outside your comfort zone. So working at, at, at the highest level you can, and that's going to involve scoring goals. If you're saving everything in training, 
you're not working hard enough or you're not at the right team because you should be playing for the best team in the world. So it, it's, you know, you've got to be comfortable with that environment of, uh, you know, training will be difficult, goals will go in and bouncing back there for that quickly. Love it. Okay. Uh, one of my buddies, Ludo, he actually just texted me. He said, uh, when you prepare your sessions, do you think more for the number one and how do you, or to prepare them for the next match? Or do you also try to adapt some of the, the wants and needs of the number two and three into that session? Um, I, I definitely, I, I definitely think the goalkeeper who you know is going to play, you don't design this, all the sessions for them and you don't design the week for them. But I think you are a little bit more aware of certain things that they might not like or, or, or don't have a lot of success in and probably avoid doing those in, in the day or two before the game. Uh, you know, when we're working hard in the middle of the week, everyone has to be challenged. Everyone has to do things maybe that they don't like or that they're not good at. Um, but I think it's just having that awareness of, okay, you know, to, towards towards game day for you know, for the guy that's going to play, you want them to feel good and you want them to, you know, to, to feel happy. I also think an important thing on that is um, recognising where people are uh, or where your goalkeeper is in terms of uh, confidence. You know, I, I've had weeks before where in the middle of the week, I'm like, you know what, the, our number one, he's, he's not training great this week or he doesn't seem quite great. So then what I might do is the session on in the middle of the week or the session two days before a game, I'm going to do something that's going to make him feel really good. So he's going to save everything today. He's going to feel real good about what he does because sometimes you have to do that just, just, to, just to add some confidence. So again, that comes with experience, knowing your goalkeepers. Um, I think, yeah, just, just always being aware of, of where each individual's at. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I'll do something in a session specifically for for the guy who's our third choice because I can see he's having a hard time, and I can think, you know what, we need to we need to do this for him right now. So it, it's not always just the number one that you've that you've got to like do certain stuff for. Love it. Okay, that builds into this question. Uh, Pedro Santos underscore goalkeeper coach. He says, what is the management that you do at the training stimulus level in the first training of the week between the goalkeeper who played and those who did not play? What are your strategies that you use? So I guess keeping those guys happy. So often what we'll do on the first day back for us is often two days after a game. Obviously, it depends if we traveled or not. So often the starting 11, the team that played, will do will just do a recovery session. So what I do with the goalkeeper that's played in the game He'll come out and do the goalkeeping session with me, unless he's injured or it was a particularly difficult game. He'll come and do the goalkeeping session, so probably 45 to 60 minutes of uh, of just goalkeeping, uh, mostly technique work, uh, not particularly difficult physically. And then he'll go into the gym or, or go and sort of phone roll on the side of the field, and the other goalkeepers will, will go and join the team. It's often on that day some small-sided games, so to increase the workload for the guys that didn't play. Uh, so maybe sort of 20, 25 minutes of intense work, but also small-sided is is some of your game-based work. So that helps the goalkeepers that aren't playing catch up a little bit with with with, with some of that work. So so that, that's how we'll do it there. The, the goalkeeper who played doesn't doesn't do the session with the team the, the first day back, unless okay, we've Jack. had unless we've had three or four days off. Okay, we we have we have about 30 seconds left. I'm gonna uh, exit you out on this last question. So, is there anything about the game in its current state that you, from a goalkeeper's perspective, from a coach's perspective, that you really want to see improved? Specifically, uh, needs needs to be needs to be improved, or that I'd want to see improved. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see the next the, the next thing in goalkeeping that's almost like fashionable and that get, that gets focused on it, playing out from the back and being good with your feet has been such a big thing in the last few years. It, it might be that we see a not not a change away from that, but a new sort of element of goalkeeping coming in as well. So it'll be exciting to see. All right, Jack. 
pleasure to have you on. Again, I've been watching your videos on that you posted on social media for the last year or two. So it's been it's awesome put to put a to put a name to the face here. So appreciate yeah, no, it. I've enjoyed it too, and I, and I enjoy what enjoy what you do. So no, Thank this you. was a lot Thank of fun, you. and we'll do it, we'll do it again. Absolutely. Hopefully, everything gets back to normal soon, and we'll see you guys back out there. Jack Stern, everybody, I've had an applause meter, I would do it. But thank you very much for, for coming on. Thanks, man. Take soon. care, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.